Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. We're going to get started with our sermon today. Today, I, I don't know if you guys know this, it's Easter, he's risen, okay? Yeah. It's a pretty gorgeous day. Um, I pulled in right as kind of the pink and orange sunrise was just starting to happen, and I thought, we did all right today. We did all right. We've had uh, snowy Easter's, and, and this one is pretty good. And we have a lot to celebrate, and I think we're going to get there. Uh, if you are a member here, you've been around for a while, you know sometimes we take a little bit of our circuitous route to where we're going in a sermon, and, and you know we're going to get there, so I just need you to trust me, because today we're going to start we're going to start somewhere different. We're going to acknowledge something together. We need to collectively acknowledge this if we're going to get where we're going. And what we are acknowledging today is that cling wrap is maybe the most annoying substance in the history of the planet. Has anybody, anybody done their preparations for an Easter meal and you, you have something covered in cling wrap right now? You know how this goes. You start to pull it away from that roll and the second you get it, like a third of an inch off the roll, it begins to cling in ways you don't want. And then you've, no one's ever gotten a normal sheet of it. It just comes and it makes this poison nest of plastic. It has those razor-sharp teeth that if you're trying to get it and it won't cut, you have to kind of press on it, and then you're bleeding on the cling wrap, and everything's a mess. I'm projecting a little bit. You ever have to re-roll it? Like it's gotten back on the roll and you've lost the lip? And then you have to take it out of the carton and you have to look at the light and see if you can find it and you're scratching at it. It's the most annoying thing on earth. You're going to wrap up leftovers today. Somebody's going to bring out cling wrap and you're going to remember what we talked about. I need to tell you that cling wrap was invented in 1933. It was a sealant originally before she came along. It was a sealant that was first used, the first use of cling wrap was to spray fighter planes to avoid rust that came from the sea spray, okay? So that's the first way we use it. Then car companies got smart, and they said, we're going to cover our upholstery in the same spray to protect them from stains. And then about 1949, about there, somebody said, you know what would be smart? Let's put that on our food. So they come along. A 100-foot roll wraps 100 sandwiches, and yet it's economically priced. I look at this picture. I don't know what you see when you see this picture, this advertisement, 1952. I see a woman who's hit her boiling point, right? She's hit her limit. She doesn't know why he made her wrap 100 sandwiches. And the next thing that's going to happen is she's going to wrap him, right? Like, this is the beginning of a really bad Dateline episode. You know the Dateline voice where they have that real dramatic voice? She was tired of wrapping sandwiches, so she wrapped him. Um, that's what I see about to happen. Thankfully, we're going somewhere. Press and Seal came along. Any Press and Seal fans in the house? Yeah, thanks. We're, we're going to have, have a whole club we're going to start. Doesn't cling up. It's not a problem. It saved us from all the cling wrap nonsense. What is the point, you're asking? What's the point? You never, you never saw this coming. Matthew 10, 39. It's our main verse for today. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Our main verse today is, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for me, Jesus says, you'll find it. Every time you deal with cling wrap for the rest of your life, when you see it on a dish, when someone brings it out at someone else's house, every time you see it, what I want you to hear is, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. What does it mean for us here today? The context of Jesus saying this is he's sending his disciples out. He's sending them out with these instructions. And towards the end of his instructions for what they're going to do is they enter into a world that's fraught. They enter into a world of darkness. They enter into a world of of opposition to him. One of the final instructions that Jesus gives them is if you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. And I think that's instructive for us because we are going out much like they did. We're going out into a world that may be opposed to the message of Jesus, a a world that is lost in darkness, a world that is fraught with danger. And the same message applies if you cling to your life, because when in trouble, when we face headwinds, when we face danger, when we face trouble, we have a natural inclination to close in and to cling to what we have, to cling to what we know, to stay with what we control. And Jesus is saying, if you do that, you're going to lose your life. But we cling, don't we? kids cling to that grimy stuffed animal they've been clinging to a few too many years, the blanket, the security blanket that is now sort of security threads, and they just, they won't let it go. Kids cling. Adults cling to careers that are wrong for them. We cling to investments that have been losing for a while, and then people say, oh, it's okay, just buy the dip, just buy the dip, and you're like, what if it's only a dip? Some of you are clinging to old technology, you're still collecting Betamax. It's not going to happen. Everybody knows somebody who, who was into laser discs, and then that didn't work, and then I got this Blu-ray connect, collection, and it's like Netflix, though. Jesus says uh, it's bigger than all that. The things you collect, the things we cling to, we cling to our lives. So what does it mean? The implication for, that Jesus is giving is there is a natural uh, desire for humanity to cling to what we know. He knows he's sending his disciples out, having not given them the fullness of the picture at the back end. They're not, they got some hints, they have some ideas, but they're not totally sure what's happening. We have this great luxury of being able to read it as a full story. We know the ending. We know that today is Resurrection Sunday. We know where we're going. They didn't. And he says, not knowing where you're going, you're going to want to cling to what you know. Because a, a known is always preferable to an unknown for humanity. Our greatest fear is the unknown. It's losing control. And so Jesus knows that they would rather live in the misery of the known than the mystery of the unknown. I had a friend in college who lived this out. It's not his best season of life. I went to his apartment one day. I go across the street and around the bend, and I walk into his apartment. Pretty Spartan place. And I was like, hey, I'm kind of hungry. Got anything to eat? And he says, you're going to want to check the fridge. I open the fridge, and I'm not joking, no hyperbole, no exaggeration. It is entirely like a brand new, I think he just bought it, clean, perfect fridge, except for one thing, biscuits. (laughs) One can of biscuits was all he had. And I was like, dude, this is kind of sad. He's like, no, biscuits are delicious. Like, he was into it. And I said, well, you just ate all your other food? He goes, no, I just bought a six-pack of those biscuits, and I'm down to my last set of biscuits. And I was, like, kind of profoundly sad for him. What are we doing here? I was like, you're clinging. Do you understand what you're clinging to? He's like, ah, it's not that bad. I'll be fine. I'm going to get through this. 
He wasn't ready to surrender. He wasn't ready to stop clinging to what he knew. He, what he knew was biscuits and probably dropping out of school. That's what he knew. What was awaiting for him had he made some other decision, had he let go of that part of his life, was something greater, but he couldn't find it or see it, so he just held on to what he knew. And this is what we've been talking about for eight weeks. We've been talking about surrender. What does it mean to surrender? We've acknowledged our society doesn't like surrender. We don't like to let go of things. We don't like the idea of surrender in our culture is it's quitting. Don't give up. Just keep going. Keep fighting. Keep going. We don't like it. But Jesus seems pretty into it. We keep running into Jesus inviting us to surrender major parts of our lives and eventually today our whole life. But we don't like it which is why we end up sitting in a studio apartment with nothing but biscuits and thinking, no, it's going to be all right. I think I'm doing okay. This is what we would call rock bottom, right? You know, it was a pretty sad state. It was rock bottom. Why do we have to use the phrase rock bottom in our culture? What does it even mean? You ever dig a hole and eventually you hit bedrock? That's rock bottom. You can't dig any farther. You can't get lower. You can't go further down. And we talk about this all the time. People, oh, you just need to hit rock bottom. She just needs to hit rock bottom. Then she'll, then she'll respond. You dig far enough, you can't get any lower. We see it individually, we see it societally. We hit rock bottom because we're not willing to let go and surrender for something better. You see it militarily. I'm a history student at heart. World War II, you didn't know you're coming for World War II, but here you are. You know how many people died in World War II? 80 million. What? 80 million people died. In May of 1945, Germany surrenders. Japan is still hanging on. In August, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, nuclear bombs, another couple hundred thousand people die. Those who survived it deal with just tortuous conditions of radiation poisoning. It's awful. Only then does Japan surrender in September of 1945. Only after 80 million people dead wasn't enough. The straw that broke the camel's back was the, the nuclear bomb is dropped. And only then Japan finally says, okay, you know what, I think we're done. They had to hit rock bottom as a society. They had to hit rock bottom as a culture. They wouldn't surrender. They wouldn't let go. They were clinging to what they knew. So when you go to lunch today, you see family and friends that say, how was Easter church? You say it was really uplifting. <laughs> Pastor was on some strange rant about cling wrap. He brought nuclear war into the whole equation. It was great. Regular attenders and members here just nodding like, no, this is kind of how it goes. <laughs> the question is, what are you clinging to? That's the question for David. What are you clinging to? Because you came in here and odds are you are clinging to something. We are all clinging to something. Where are you frustrated with life but still clinging and still wrestling because you can't imagine better? Is it your career? Is it a relationship? Is it finances? Is it your idea of salvation? In one scene, Jesus finally lets the disciples in on his plan. He finally kind of he spells it out. Like I said, they had hints and ideas. They had inclinations. They think they know. And, and we pick up a scene where Jesus is going to go, guys, I am who you think I am. I am the Messiah. And he begins to tell them what is going to have to happen for his salvation plan to be finished. And the disciples are emboldened because they've been thinking this. They've been whispering this. They've been hoping this. And it's true. He's the Messiah. It's true. So we pick up in Matthew 16, verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed on the third day to be raised to life. But Peter, Peter took him aside 
and began to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus speaks plainly to them. Look, guys, I'm going to be crucified. It's not going to be pleasant. You're not going to like anything that's coming. It's going to get real ugly from here. But on the third day, I'm going to rise. And Peter, Peter won't have, he says, not on my watch. Not on my watch. You don't understand. I got you. I protect you. They can't do that to you. Jesus rebukes Peter. Peter comes to rebuke Jesus, which is a pretty bold thing to do, especially after he just said, I am the Messiah. And Peter goes, ooh, (laughs) let me take it from here, buddy. And Jesus rebukes him back. And what is he basically telling Peter? He says, you've got to let go. You're still holding on the concept, on the conception of the world that you've created in your mind. You cannot imagine the world I've just given you. You're still holding on to some preconceived notion, some preconceived expectation of what this is going to look like. You can't wrap your mind around it because you can't control it. And if you can't control it, you don't want any part of it because now we're in the land of the unknown, and I don't like that. Jesus looks at Peter and basically says, your fear of the unknown is greater than your willingness to accept my promise of salvation you got to trust me. Peter's clinging to biscuits in the fridge. Pick up in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Jesus says, you can't follow me without surrender. Right on the back of, of Peter, making his plea, no, not on my watch, Jesus. Not only does he get rebuked, but then Jesus has to say to the whole group, he goes, guys, this is what I'm talking about. If you're trying to hold on to the way things work, you're trying to white-knuckle your way through faith, it's not going to work. You have to lose your life. And he will eventually, Jesus, right? We know the story. Jesus eventually models this with his actual life. He loses his life. And he's trying to get this this point across to them time after time. If you have any chance, you have to stop clinging to expectations. You have to stop clinging to the way that the world works and what the world says will lead to your flourishing. Power, military might, money, fame. For us, the status, little bits, little hints, little little boosts of status in various places and, and spots in our lives. Just the approval from catering to the whims of the latest cultural trend, whatever it is, the little things that we cling to, the little things we hold on to pride, control. What are you holding on to? What are you clinging to? Those things that might really help you win the world, they really will help you win the world. You can white knuckle your way to becoming rich and famous and all the things might keep you fed, but Jesus is saying true life isn't found in any of those things. True life isn't going to be found there. Only in surrendering and holding on to me and my way. And this is a big thing because he just said my way is going to lead to my crucifixion, to my torture. He said that's what my way leads to. And he goes, who's in? Uh, I think we're, we, we may not be as bold as Peter, but I think we all have that, that thing and that sliver in our hearts. He goes, Jesus, that sounds like a good plan for you, but not on my watch. 
partly I don't want you to go through that because I love you, but partly I don't want you to go through that because that means if I'm following you, I might, I might be next. You got to surrender control though. And look, this was, let's acknowledge, this was hard for the followers of Jesus to grapple with. And they were in the room with him, right? They were watching the miracles take place. They were watching the healings happen. And even for them, it was hard to grasp the idea that they needed to let go. So how much harder will it be for us at a distance? I get it. How many of our faith stories are are rock-bottom stories? How many of our faith stories are we had to hit our lowest point before we finally decided to jump in on faith? I know a lot of your stories, as my job or my kids or my health or my marriage, as, as my life shattered, then and only then did I find my way into letting go and, and grabbing onto Christ. God uses a lot of things to draw us in, and, and some of you are here today, speaking of which, not because you wanted to be here today. So I would acknowledge some of you are here today because someone invited you and either felt guilted or obligated and you came. That's okay. We're glad you're here. I think there's a reason you're here. And you may not be sure why you're here, but I think I know. Maybe you even identify with some of this frustration talk. Life is a big ball of cling wrap for you where you're going, you know what? I can identify with that. Job doesn't go the way I want, or my spouse, or my kids, or my life, or my career track, or my school, or what, just everything. I wish I had more control. I don't have it. Maybe some of you are close to that rock bottom spot where you're just, you're, you're sitting alone in an apartment with a biscuit in the fridge and going, I guess this is what I got. And what I'm here to tell you is there is a better way. There's a greater way. There's a life of flourishing. There's true life on offer. But you got to hang in just long enough to know what you're clinging to. Jesus invites you today to grab hold of him and nothing less. Anything less will fail you. Jesus will never fail you. Jesus was famously crucified, and then he explained to Peter, just like he explained, I'm going to be crucified. It's going to be three days, and I'm going to rise. That's what we celebrate today. We come today, after Good Friday is the day where we recognize the crucifixion of Jesus, we come together on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, and we say, he's risen. Because the stone was rolled away, because the tomb was empty, because Jesus walked again. And Thomas doubted, and he wasn't quite sure, and and some others wondered if it was really true, and yet witness after witness after witness is named in the most historically accurate possible way you could have recorded such events, and it's just true. And we come together to recognize that because there's something that we're clinging to that has no power. And yet the power of resurrection kind of floats right outside of our reach. Jesus was wrapped in linens and put into a borrowed tomb after his crucifixion. Think of a small cave. You'd have to duck and kind of crawl in to get there. You duck in, and there's a, maybe a step laid out, sort of like a table carved into the rock. And there they took the dead Jesus, the dead Savior, wrapped in linens, and they put him in the tomb. They roll the stone back over. They seal it. Matthew 28, verse 2. On the third day, there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Like, look what I did. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. There were guards at the tomb. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. 
I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, and they clasped his feet, and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is an amazing moment in the course of human history, that the stone has been rolled away. There were guards stationed in front of it to keep this very kind of thing from happening. No one's going to mess with this. No one's going no to try to trick us. He kept saying he was going to rise. We're not going to let it happen. Other part of the Bible, another one of the Gospels says that, that they had to be paid off, that these guards were brought into the high priest's office and they paid them off so they would stay quiet about the whole thing. Here's some money. Please don't tell anybody that this happened. The disciples saw this. They told others. Witnesses upon witnesses. And I said, this is like video evidence. Today, if, if you, I showed you video evidence of something that just happened, and you could identify the people, and you see the video, you'd go, okay, I guess that did happen. There was no video back then, yet this was as close as you got. They named witnesses after witnesses that were seeing Jesus, that met Jesus, that encountered Jesus. There's hundred names of, of all those who encountered him, and you read into the book of Acts, and, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them, and it's a, it's a wild truth that would have been rebuked and undone if any of it was untrue, because nobody wanted to be named in something false. So as the story went out, somebody would go, that didn't happen that way. Change it. Take my name out. That didn't happen. And yet hundreds said, yeah, I saw him. Yeah, I was there. And so the skepticism that some hold even these days where we go, well, it's a nice story. He's a good teacher. He's a, he's a fine man, I suppose, but I don't know about the resurrection thing. It's as if we have video. Jesus of Nazareth fulfilled the prophets. Jesus, the Messiah, came to seek and save the lost. Jesus was historically resurrected. He came to heal and give sight to the blind. He came to conquer death and offer you life. We would say in dying, he destroyed our death. He took our sins to the cross. And in rising, he restored our life. And he said, in me, you will never die. He took the punishment for sin and shame. He invites you to join his resurrection, his life. And so we get right back to the verse for the day. What are we reminded? If you cling to your life, if you hold on to what you know, if you keep with your expectations, if you just stay with the things you can control, if you want to cling to your life, you will lose it. That much is certain. But if you give up your life for me, Jesus says, you will find it. Jesus alone holds the, the keys to eternal life, beyond pain and suffering, beyond the sadness that we experience. So the question again is, what holds you back? Some of us, it's big stuff. For some of us, it's little things. It's trivial things. What holds you back? What are you clinging to? What are you white-knuckling, trying to hold on to, trying to keep control of, trying to save yourself? Salvation doesn't come from your good works or your best intentions. You've tried. You followed that path. And somehow, somewhere in you, you are still unfulfilled. You're still not quite satisfied. It's still not quite there. And imperfect and ultimately broken. But it's what we cling to because it's all we know. Friends, it is the object 
of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. Take you to uh, China. This is a, a steep cliff's edge in Huangshan, China. On the left is, is it gets pretty dicey at times. You see, I mean, there's a chain into the rocks and a couple of, uh, I don't know, one by fours, maybe half nailed together. And there's spots where they have rails and it's bolted to the wall, but really, mostly, it's like this on the left here. This is life, so I want to just leave this up with you. And imagine yourself walking along those boards on the left. This is what life feels like, whether we want to admit it or not. Life feels pretty treacherous. It feels like I'm always one step from, from something pretty awful. This is why we're anxious and afraid. This is why we are constantly trying to distract ourselves, because if we really stop to think about how close we are to the edge, it can be pretty unsettling. So we try to do what? We just got to get through the day, got to survive the day. I'm famous for this. this is, I'm the first in line at this. How you doing? And I go, well, just got to get through Easter. Get through Easter, and somebody goes, well, how you doing? I go, ooh, just got to get through May. It's going to be busy. Just got to get through summer. Just got to get through Christmas. Just got to get through. Just got to get through. Last 57 people that have asked me how I'm doing, I'm just hanging in there. Just got to get through. Just hanging in. I'm on that left side. Just clinging to that chain. I know you are too. We all find our place at times just going, I just got to get through this. But you slip. Eventually, we all do. On that left side, we, we all eventually slip. We all eventually take a wrong step. We all eventually do something we wish we didn't. We all eventually take a wrong step and we slip and our feet start looking for something to grab hold of and they just find air. The bottom drops out on life. Off you go. Off you go. And you reach for anything, for something to hold you. And your hand finds a branch. You see a couple things hanging off the side of the hill there. Your hand finds a branch, just something sticking out of a cleft of a rock. And you cling to it with all your strength. Nothing below your feet, holding on with everything you have. In that moment, holding on to the branch, sticking out of the, the bare cliff face, what saves you? Is it your strength? It's the strength of the branch. If the root gives way, if the branch comes free, you can hold as tight as you want all the way down. What saves you in that moment as you fall off the cliff of life is the branch, it is the root, it is the strength of the branch, not you. The object is what saves you, the object of your faith. You have put your faith in the branch and it is the object of your faith that saves you in that moment. Not your strength. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you cling to something that will hold, if you cling to something that is real, if you cling to something where true strength resides, if you cling to someone who will not die, if you cling to someone who promised you eternal life, if you cling to the right thing, this here is the picture of life, and it's the picture of what happens when we slip and we fall. It's the picture of Jesus' invitation today in the resurrection. The resurrection, Jesus provides the root that we can hold on to. Because we will slip and stumble. We read it all the time. We will find ourselves on wobbly ground. We will find ourselves shaking our way through life. And when we slip and stumble, what we cling to matters. If we cling to ourselves, we hit rock bottom. When we cling to Christ, he holds. He's firm. He's solid. 
Too many of us are clinging to lesser things, trusting our strength along the tightrope cliffs. Too many of us find rock bottom and choose to never get back up. But if you cling to Jesus, he won't let you go. The promise of the resurrection is if you cling to Jesus, he won't let you go. Even the disciples who scattered at the moment he was crucified, even those who denied him and doubted him, they weren't quite sure. So that's human and that's okay. We, I'm not quite sure. Is this Jesus, is he real? Is he doing what he said he's going to do? Is he really going to be resurrected? And then the resurrection is Jesus' kind of exclamation point on his promise. His see, I told you so. Guys, I'll never let you down. If you cling to me, you will find life. Even in death, there's life. Death could not hold him. In him, death and the grave cannot hold you. The promise of Easter is as we cling to him, we get included in his life. We get included in his death, and so our sins have gone away, but we're included in his life, and so we're restored with him. So lost in him, we are now found in him, and found in him, we have life again. The Bible says Jesus offers eternal life to all who believe. The power that breeds life into dead bones is your deposit. For all who trust and believe, the scripture says the Holy Spirit is given the helper and the revealer and the counselor and the friend, the convictor and the intercessor, the guide and the strength. For those who believe the Holy Spirit becomes your guide along the cliffs of life that holds you along the way. The Holy Spirit becomes the seal of your assurance from heaven that death has no sting. So the question again is, what are you clinging to today? What did you come in holding on to, hoping that it would be enough to get you through one more day? Whether you're at the rock bottom today and that's where you walked in, or, or maybe you're just on the path and it feels a little wobbly, Jesus invites you to let go of your life, to fully surrender everything you have and all that you are, to stop clinging to the world, and instead surrender and cling to him. Entrust your life to him. Recognize it is not by your works or your worth, but by his, that it's the object of our faith that saves us. And the simplest of prayers starts that journey. Maybe you're in here and you've never chosen to trust Jesus. Maybe you're in here and you've trusted Jesus before, and yet you would say, you know what, I think I got my eyes off and I'm clinging on something else. Today's the day to kind of recenter, to get right, to hear his words again. If you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you'll just cling to me, I've got you. So as we pray, we're going to pray a real simple prayer one of submission and surrender, one that says, I can't save myself. And if that's your prayer today, then find yourself held by the object of your faith. Find yourself held by the one who overcame the grave. Find yourself held by the one who holds the keys to eternity, unlocks the door, and invites you in. Because there is glory on the other side of surrender. There is beauty on the other side of losing it all. And it is the invitation of Jesus. It's the invitation of Covenant Church. It is the invitation. Find yourself lost in our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our simple prayer today is that we trust you. Father, I believe in Jesus, that he is who he says he is. God, I believe that he was crucified, that he died, and was resurrected. I believe that my sins went to the cross with him. I believe that my life is now held in his resurrection. 
that as I trust and I follow, as I believe and I confess, that, Lord, you have sealed me for eternity. So, Father, I let go of all the other things that I cling to. I let go of all the lesser things, the unsatisfying things, the worldly things, the status things. I let go of finances and relationships. I let go of all my struggling, failing attempts to control life. And instead, Lord, today, let my choice be known that I'm clinging to you, that my grip is of you and you alone, that you are the object of my faith, that you are the object of my love and my heart. So, Father, breathe new life into us today. Breathe fresh encouragement into our hearts today that as we walk from this place, as we go back into the world as ambassadors of your light, that we would be held tightly by you, that we would be secured in you. And Lord, we would know that as we cling to you, you breathe life and flourishing into our days. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our salvation. We pray these things in his name. Amen.